1: and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're focusing on when art imitates life. What happens when we use multimedia in service to our mental health? My first guest is Travis Langley. So we all love these characters that we see on TV, that we read in books, we read in comic books, Um, but what is it in these characters That we see ourselves, that we love them or loathe them, because perhaps it's part of us that we're looking at. My next guest is exploring just that. His latest book is Doctor Who Psychology A Madman in a Box. My guest today is Travis Langley, PhD, editor of The Walking Dead Psychology, Psych of the Living Dead, and Star Wars Psychology Dark Side of the Mind. He is a psychology professor who teaches, a course on, teaches courses rather on crime, media, and mental illness at Henderson State University. Travis speaks regularly on media and heroism at universities, conferences, and popular culture conventions, including San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, and Wizard World conventions throughout the world. Necessary Evil, supervillains of DC Comics and other films have, been, have featured him as an expert interviewee and the documentary Legends of the Night spotlighted how he uses fiction to teach real psychology. Psychology Today carries Travis's blog Beyond Heroes and Villains and he is one of the 10 most popular psychologists on Twitter with more than 100,000 followers. Welcome Travis, thanks for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Good morning.
1: Oh, well this is this Good is tomorrow. a treat. So let let's talk about how and why we get attached to these characters and the shows we watch in a world that isn't really real.
2: Well, when you start off as a small child, it's all equally real and unreal to begin with. We're going to have to learn those distinctions later on. So it, it, it's all fiction. It's all non-fiction from the very beginning of our lives. You know, a, a, a small child will get more frightened by a nightmare than an adult would because they're not making those distinctions. And you're going to have to learn these, you know, ideas of this is what's real and this is what's not. And fiction is ultimately the most powerful driving force in the world once upon a time, uh, the ability to light a fire was fiction you know the, when you 're deciding what you 're going to do later today at the moment that 's fiction because you have not done it yet, and so this is always important to us as human beings that, you know, it creates our culture and and shapes where we 're going you know when you get into the heroes in particular. Uh, the decision to step up and do the right thing, you know, comes out of thinking what we know about other heroes, heroes we've heard of. At at the beginning of our lives, we're most excited by these stories people are telling us about heroes that weren't even real.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the importance of story, because I think this really plays a huge part in what we're talking about, that stories, whether they're fiction or not, are how we we teach, how we learn, how we how we come to know concepts and themes and how we work out problems that externally, you know, when we don't have the tools and resources to do so internally.
2: Yeah, with any subject you're learning when you're growing up, there are stories. When you're taking a math class and you're being presented a problem with trains approaching each other at different speeds, and you'll calculate when each when they reach each other, right there, that is a story. There is a plot. With the steps of these? These trains are moving. When will they reach? Uh, it, stories are what we use to convey ideas uh, and, and make plans. Well,
1: let's talk a little bit about the, these characters and why we are attracted to them or repelled by them. And, and you mentioned it just before we started talking on the air. We were, you, you mentioned Jung and, and the, the, the awareness and power of the shadow. And maybe that's why. We see aspects yeah, Carl, of ourselves.
2: Yeah, well, well, Carl, Carl Jung uh, was a, a psychiatrist, a, a colleague of Freud's, and Jung had observed that certain themes appear in the stories, mythology, legends of every single culture in the world. Certain themes kept appearing, and he felt that this reflected some inherited underlying archetype, these universal themes. And whether he's right about why these themes emerge, he's definitely right that the themes do emerge. There's certain types of stories that you'll find in every culture in the world, certain ideas. You know, the, the story of the hero who has a mentor and must lose that mentor in the process of becoming a hero. Every culture has stories like that. You know, the story of the trickster character, the one who stirs up chaos, which could ultimately cause some of the greatest good things to happen. Whether you're talking about Native American myth with the coyote, you're talking about Loki in Norse mythology, the Joker in Batman, uh, there's some form of trickster story over and over. They don't all take the exact same form, but certain themes are underlying. So Joseph Campbell, when he was writing A Hero with a Thousand Faces, he was building from Jung's ideas about uh, how these heroic themes are similar everywhere in the world. In fact, that title, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, is saying that there's this underlying universal sense of what heroism is and then it gets manifested in every single one of these different stories in all these different ways. So when I'm writing about Batman, when I'm when I'm, my or one of my writers will be writing about Luke Skywalker or we're talking about Doctor Who or any of these other characters, they're still reflecting pieces of that archetype. Some of them are more complex, complex they're not just reflecting one Batman you know, getting back to that arc, that shadow that you brought up, Batman has embraced the shadow side of himself, the darker part of his own nature. So he's gone through quite a bit through what Jung looked at as the hero's journey, and then I'll, Campbell elaborated on more clearly. He's gone through, he's faced himself, he's gone to his own dark nature, and he's embraced it and found a way to work with it. And that was what Jung considered to be one of the most important aspects of growing and being very far along. So from Jung, Jung's perspective, you know, Batman would be a very well-developed hero. You know, the, the Doctor Who, is, the Doctor Who book is what's come out most recently. You know, The Doctor is constantly looking at the darkness in himself, and he's, bo- he's bothered by it. And you see over the course of the series, you know, there's, a, there's a point between when the series originally ran – in the 20th century, and when it came back in the 21st, in which there's this story called the Time War that had happened, and the doctor undergoes some changes. A lot of it just has to do with differences in storytelling in the 21st century, but he has faced some darkness in himself. He has descended into the underworld, and, you know, he's, he's come back changed, you know, with, with new abilities, new gifts, and new things that bother him.
1: <laughs> it's important to add that, right, new, because there's new awareness.
2: There is there is this new awareness and it does not you know the person can become an even greater hero that doesn't necessarily mean he's a happier hero.
1: Yes, and the, and and the and, and the hero is flawed in some way, right? The hero is never the, it, absolute perfection.
2: If the hero – when the hero is presented as being this, this perfect character, it, it is harder for us to accept that what they're doing is heroic. Well, it's like, well, he's perfect anyway. How is that heroic? If you, you have a story of you know, the supreme being doing something to fight evil, that doesn't strike you as heroic. That strikes you as the supreme being doing his job. If you have a story of someone who's gotten a call – you know to well many different things they could be doing a call to become a minister a call to become a prophet the call to become the great warrior you know this person is called upon to do these things they are human the more human they are then the more heroic it is that they go through and do these things you know when a, a hobbit has to go through and toss a ring into a volcano to destroy it. You know, his reservations about doing it, his foibles, his flaws, you know, these are the things that help us feel for the character and feel that this is a heroic thing to do. He's not a robot following a program.
1: Yeah. And, and, well, and the the call that you mentioned, you know, is that, that well, it, Joseph Campbell also calls it the call to adventure, right? When you're stepping mm-hmm. fr- into the unknown yeah. world, the world that you are in no longer works for you. So you receive the call, you step over the threshold into the unknown, and it's uh, the separation and initiation into this unknown world where the transformation occurs.
2: Yes. Uh, for some, that is, a training story, but there has to be more to it than training. In Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker goes through this when he's going to this cave and he faces this kind of hallucinatory Darth Vader and sees his own face in the Darth Vader head. He's, he's confronting some of that part of himself. He's going through the underworld you know, within the Star Wars story.
1: Yes, which is a quintessential or epic uh, hero's journey, really. Um, well, but we're going to need deliberate. to take a break. And yep. when we come back, oh, okay. I'd love to carry on um, this theme in our discussion, perhaps getting into how the unconventional hero with his or her unconventional personality or personalities, plural, helps us look at our own psychology, helps us see our own reflection in the mirror. Um, to learn more about the books and t- Travis Langley, you can find him on Twitter. He is in the Twitter sphere at Superheroologist. Once again, that's at Superheroologist. You can also find him on Facebook at The Psych Geeks, we're talking today with Travis Langley about Doctor Who Psychology, a madman with a box. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Wait, wait, wait. Before we take that break, I want to talk about creativity and how making things can make you a happier and healthier person today's sponsor craftsy is the digital destination devoted entirely to makers more than 13 million enthusiasts from artists to quilters and beyond make craftsy their home for binge worthy on-demand content and access to the world's top experts and curated supplies all served up in a fun-loving creative community this year resolve to live a more creative life sign up for your 7-day free trial at craftsy.com/happiness once again it's 7 days of free craftsy at craftsy.com/happiness here come the tunes we'll be right back and that's a promise
0: we know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com.
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking with... Travis Langley and his new book, Doctor Who Psychology, A Madman with a Box. And we're exploring, really, the superhero characters that we love and loathe and why they matter, how they reflect part of the human condition and psychology. So, Travis, talk about, um, we we, we left off talking about uh, the hero's journey and the Star Wars series.
2: I think it's important to point out that the works of Joseph Campbell directly influence Star Wars. With so many of these stories we're talking about, you know, Campbell and Jung are talking about how these naturally you know these stories were naturally affected by this underlying, you know, hero's journey, these archetypes. In the case of Star Wars though, George Lucas was working on his original story and, and he was stuck. He was having trouble finishing the story until he discovered the works of Joseph Campbell and he was reading the description of the hero's journeys and he saw, this is the kind of story I'm telling. And so in that case, he deliberately followed the model that had been out- outlined in order to complete his story. And since then, uh, a number of writers have you know, either modeled themselves after Lucas, or they've taken a lesson from him and modeled their stories after what they've read. So it's a case of you know, the observation affecting the phenomenon. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Talk about um, the dark side, you know, why we're so attracted to the dark side in in these villains that we love.
2: Well, we're intrigued in the dark side in ourselves, uh, for one thing. (laughs) We want to understand that piece of ourselves. We all understand temptation. We all understand wanting to do the wrong thing. doesn't mean we necessarily want to be unleashed and do the wrong thing, but we understand it. And when it comes to looking at the dark side in others— some of it, it may not be about wanting to be a villain, about wanting to follow the villain or admire them. It could simply be about wanting to understand. You know, when you're surrounded by shadows and darkness and don't know what's out there, it's far more frightening than if you face it and learn some things about it. And so by learning what the evil is out there in the dark, it can be reassuring because you know it's the known evil is less frightening than the unknown
1: true true uh, what about traveling externally through space and time uh, it, how would this power affect us you know what 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 would happen to us do you think psychologically and emotionally if we were able to just time travel
2: yeah going back to uh, D- doctor who the time traveler but uh, well time travel is not just in in doctor who you know even stories that aren't obviously about time travel we see where the past influences the present and where you can wish that you were able to change something from the past or or see something from the past again in order to learn and shape and determine the future you know here we are learning from the past as we shape the future you know the, the, we are traveling through time. We're just, it's time zero. We're traveling in one direction. And we love the idea of being able to go back and see people we've lost or see historic events. Some people fantasize about being able to change things. It's It's been shown that people engage in heavily dwelling on this, if only I could change this thing that happened, if it's impossible. They have higher depression rates. But people who uh, – <laughs> No doubt. No doubt. But what? No doubt. Uh, But the people who learn from the past, and and they don't let themselves dwell on, they don't dwell on changing the things that are impossible, but use that as a lesson on how to shape the future, you know, tend to feel much better about life. The idea of being able to travel through space and time, we can only speculate on how that would affect a person, of course. And, of course, it will be to some degree dependent on whether or not you can make any changes – if all you can do is go through and witness the past and not change it, uh, that could be very distressing, a big source of depression and frustration. And then a lot of Doctor Who stories, especially the early ones. They would repeatedly go into the fact that you can't change history. There was a TV show called Time Tunnel in the '60s, you know, and over the course, it only lasted one year. But over the course of that year, the two lead characters came to learn that it was impossible for them to change the past, and so they would witness these events and have a growing frustration over the fact that they were unable uh, to alter the things that they were witness to. And this, this is an intriguingly insightful uh, aspect of that show. The Back to the Future movies, Marty McFly can change the past, and he repeatedly learns this is a big mistake.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I'm also thinking about the other direction, you know, moving forward, to be able to um, spiral ahead and see what's up and uh, see if one can alter what is to come.
2: Yeah, they're going through that in the Flash TV series right now, where they've had Barry Allen, who had to repeatedly learn the lesson of don't change the past, has recently gotten a view of the future. And now he's, he lives in the present, so it's, let's try to make sure that future does not happen. So it will be interesting to see where they go with that. But if you see the future, you, are you stuck in that destiny? Is it a trap? Or are you able to determine where you're going? Uh, and, And different stories play with that different ways. And some, it is like the old Greek mythology in which there would be a story in which someone would go to great lengths to try to prevent this horrible thing from happening. When Oedipus hears the prophecy that he's going to kill his father and marry his mother, he goes out of his way to, well, let's get far away from the people he thinks are his parents. And he ends up, as a result of trying to avoid that fate, killing uh, the man who is his biological father and marrying his biological mother before he finds out they're his parents, and so they have that lesson to learn. And you get into these time travel stories, is like, can- through time travel, can you change the future or not? Realistically, no. though, we live in a present, and we live in a world where we're always trying to change the future. You may be terrified with where you think the world is going right now based on all the signs in front of you, and no matter oh, how it's yes. the loop. <laughs> Yeah. You. St- yeah. <laughs> you, you st- oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> We're going to do what we can to try to survive and try to work toward a better future.
1: Well, then it comes down to the personal philosophy and, you know, c- mm-hmm. controlling the things that we can, which really is only ourselves, and mm-hmm. trying to make a, a small difference in the world in which each of us lives in individually. And then, you know, we, we hope for the best, right? What else can we do?
2: And not give up persistence. Oh, never is give up. No, 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 no. <laughs> of, most of, one of the most important lessons throughout heroic fiction is persistence.
1: Yes, that the persistence does pay off. But that brings me to the to free will, you know, and, and you touched upon it in what you just said, do we have free will, or all of our actions and outcomes and personalities determined by our environments?
2: Yeah, we do get into that a little bit in a couple of these books, including one chapter in Doctor Who, because of one particular old story. And it's, you can't prove the existence of free will, because we go through and identify these many different influences on our behavior, but you can still look at two people living in similar circumstances and see them go different ways. So it becomes an unprovable thing, in which case it is simply that, well, is it practical is it practical to live your life as if you have free will? To live your life as if you have control over where you're going? And the people who do take that approach tend to be happier, or, uh, even more clearly, tend to be more successful in controlling where they're going.
1: Yeah, because the belief is that they do. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it, I mean, really, and perception influence. is the reality, right? If you have, if you take an optimist and you take a pessimist and you put them side by side, and they both live their lives. Each of their experiences are correct based on their perceptions. So the, 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 the truth or the reality is based upon per, their perception and experience. And therefore, there's and the free op- will in that.
2: Yeah. And the optimist tends to be enjoying things more along the way. Although, the pessimists have point out, yeah, but that optimist is setting themselves out for disappointment. Okay, but on average, that optimist is happier.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And manages disappointment perhaps a little bit better when it happens.
2: It it can be very adaptive.
1: Um, Believe it or not, we are almost out of time. And I want to get to the role of compassion in our physical and emotional health, because at the end of the day, this is, in my view, a very critical component to our well-being.
2: Compassion is even good for your health. People who have compassion, people who help others, for example, you have uh, releases of endorphins, which are good for the immune system. And that that relates even to the optimism, you know, the people who are you know, not just optimistic about the future but optimistic about other people and feel for other people and, and believe that other people are worth helping. You know, I know that some people think that Batman is driven mainly by finding a way to take out his anger at the criminal who, who criminals who killed his parents, by waging this war on all criminals. And that is in there. But the first thing he's trying to do, the first thing that drives Batman, as he's usually written, is trying to keep other people from going through the kind of tragedy that he and his family went through. So he's really driven first by the compassion. If he has a choice between saving this person and catching that criminal, he will go save that person. The character of the Punisher will go after the criminal. But Batman will will go to save that person because compassion is what is driving him.
1: Got it. Um, I want to just give a plug to the book once again. We are talking about the unauthorized Doctor Who psychology, a madman with a box, that has been edited by our guest Travis Langley. To learn more, check him out on Twitter at super. Heroologist, superheroologist, and on Facebook he is at the Psych Geeks. Travis, thanks for joining us this morning. A fun conversation. I urge our listeners to run out and get the book Doctor Who Psychology. Travis, take it away. And uh, you will
2: never look at the books, TV shows, comic books, or their characters the same way again.
1: Perfectly said. Thank you. Here come the tunes. We'll
0: be right back, and
1: that is a promise.
0: Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control ourselves. When we have command of ourselves we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, The glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Today we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at harvestinghappiness.com. Welcome back
1: to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where today we're focusing on when art Imitates Life, a multimedia approach to mental health. And my next guest, it took us a long time to find somebody who's an expert in this area, but my next guest is an expert in cinema therapy. Lisa Bahar is a licensed psychotherapist located in Newport Beach and Laguna Niguel, California. Lisa is known as a creative therapist, particularly with her use of cinema therapy, a collaborative tool of using film stories as symbolic metaphors of problems and challenges clients may be facing. Welcome Lisa, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thank you, Lisa, and thank you to the listeners. Uh, Well, this is this is so cool, because in my own practice, I've been using film for years and years and years. When I was in grad school, I made a film with this theory that you can help people heal passively through the use of film. Talk a little bit about the origins of cinema therapy and what attracted you to it as a tool for your clients.
3: Well, the origins of cin- cinema therapy have been going on for, all, for an extended period of time in history, just the performing arts in general and the impact that the performing arts have on people in terms of fantasy and just letting uh, defenses go by watching some sort of performance. Uh, so this has been going on through the ages, and now that we've come into the film era, It's now turned into the cinema can be a very healing experience because of the impact it has on our psyche. Uh, So that's the first part is the origins of cinema, I would say, go back in history and then have developed over time in terms of live performances into film as one of many types of um, creative ways of expression and relating to people. Uh, So that would be the first answer. And then the second answer is, how was I attracted to it? So did you have a question about that, Lisa? I'm sorry.
1: No, no, no. Go ahead, Lisa. You, you take it away. You're on it, girl.
3: <laughs> I'm on it. OK. Well, the way I was attracted to it was not planned at all. In fact, my first career and the first, my first degree was in cinema television production. So my first calling uh, for a career was in the movies. And not realizing it at the time that I would uh, later in my life become a therapist, uh, I married the two disciplines together. I don't know if they're disciplines of cinema as a discipline, but I married the two ways of relating to people together and uh, found cinema therapy as a, ironically, just a very serendipitous kind of experience that it worked. Now, it's, it's not created by me, but it was actually ironic that I had a cinema degree and then a therapy degree and so now I do cinema therapy in my therapy sessions. So that's how I was attracted to it. As movies have always been in my heart.
1: And when we talk about cinema therapy in, in, and how it's applied in therapy, how would you prescribe um cinema therapy to a client? Let's say someone comes to you and they're working through grief and loss, for example, and they were having a difficult time maybe accessing emotions of grief and loss within themselves? Mm-hmm. Well,
3: there's a variety of ways. The, the One of the ways I've uh, been known to do this more often than not is create a group setting for films uh, to be used in uh, a skills training, for example. When you talk about grief and loss, I recently had a group around how to accept the reality of losing uh, someone or an experience or coming to terms with something that's been lost, uh, whether it's a child, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a career, et cetera. And I would use, or I did use in this particular group last week, a film called The Rabbit Hole with Nicole Kidman. I don't know if you're familiar with that film, but it really does embrace the loss of a child. And so I would use a scene from that movie, uh, to create a dialogue between the clients and myself on how the character in the film deals with the stages of grief and how they come to a place of acceptance. And the movie becomes part of the experience. Uh, So that's one way that I do it.
1: What's interesting to me about what you describe is it's, it's, it's a catalyst. You know, it's a conversation catalyst, a prompt for discussion. And then if somebody is having a hard time actually accessing those emotions within themselves, I would think, and, and based on my own experience in, in using film, that it, it then begins to touch upon those places that might have been walled off you know, that you're maybe not willing to process that grief or loss for yourself, but you can tap into the emotion of what it feels like in a safe, controlled way.
3: Precisely, precisely. And movies serve as a beautiful catalyst, as you said. It's a tool to break down defenses. It's It catches people off guard, if you will, or at least softens the defenses of the guarded protection that... I feel as humans, we develop over time to avoid getting hurt. And movies are um, very delicate. They're very respectful, uh, assuming that they're not, you know, uh, you know, an intense, you know, films have an impact so that the kind of films that you introduce into the healing process are important and how they, they work. But movies can be very healing. They're very delicate, and they're very respectful of the process. And ironically, they're kind of Playfully tricky, because people start to talk and relate as a result of being touched in a way that maybe humans can't uh, directly do uh, without the movies. Music, and music is also part of movies, so that that is clearly a big, significant part of it as well. But movies and, are visual.
1: Go ahead. Well, when we talk about m- movies and movie making, I mean the people that make movies are you and me. I mean, they're regular people, right? They're just people that have an idea that bring a story to life. That story emulates the human condition. You know, Joseph Campbell called it, you know, the monomyth or the heroic journey, which is the basic mm-hmm. composition of every story we watch on the screen, right? There's there's a person in his or her everyday life, something happens that upends that person's ability to maintain the status quo which then draws the person on an adventure. And the adventure usually is not um, uh, pleasant, right? It's, it's riddled with challenges. You know, you've got to slay dragons and meet monsters and discover uh, things about yourself that help mm-hmm. that hero, the you and me and everybody else watching these things, um, realize that they do have the inner resources. They do have the strength, but it required the story to activate that hero.
3: Right. And how we relate to that story and that particular hero in the film, for example, can help us go to the next level in our story, or just validate where we're currently at, or where we're not wanting to accept where we're at. So yes. the, the, the hero, uh, we relate. So you're right, human beings create movies, which are little alternate realities, if you will, that we can all relate to that is essentially on some level, if we take Joseph Campbell's work, has the same, there's the same theme or the same set of events that we go through as human beings. So you're right.
1: And when we see these characters on the screen, we say, oh, I want to be more like that person or I can relate to that person or uh, identifying the opposite. I don't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. so it's uh, it allows us maybe to step out of um, the shadows and look in the mirror a little bit. Absolutely,
3: without being too without being um, confrontational. So it's very delicate, but it just shows you a mirror image. So if you look at Jungian therapy, it can be serving as a mirror. It can be also serving as the shadow of oh, I can relate to that. I see how I can be like that character, or oh, I don't want to be like that. And it has a great reflection tool to it that people can consider and reflect on within their own experiences or journal about it or go through a group process or even an individual therapy, talk about it in a way that is non-confrontational. And at the same time, looking at something that is hard to look at, but the movie provides that opportunity.
1: And these are teaching moments, right? I mean, um, being able to watch film activates not only, um, uh, our own emotion, but also perhaps social intelligence. We begin to be more aware of what's going on around us and activate empathy, compassion, and, and, you know, loving kindness for the human condition.
3: Absolutely. And, and that's, I I, I feel as though that's what we need as human beings is we need this connection, uh, this feeling of loving and compassion and kindness and receiving it. And movies serve as that glue or that way or that path to someone else's heart. I mean, it's really about how do we create contentment, which is harvesting happiness and (laughs) being able to share that with other people. Because we need communion to do that, it takes a it takes relationship. We're designed for relationships, so uh, movies serve as that way of of bringing people together.
1: We're going to take that break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Lisa Bahar about cinema therapy. To learn more, please visit lisa On Twitter, you can connect with her at lisa underscore bahar, and on Facebook, Lisa Bahar L M. FT. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and
0: that's a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? 8 keys to unlocking a joyful life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at ShopHappy at HarvestingHappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. yourself saying things like I'll be happy when or I'll be happy if does the finish line for happiness keep moving does the bar keep getting higher what's getting in the way of your happiness right now too much going on working too much not working enough having too many responsibilities not having enough money enough time enough space the list goes on and on It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com.
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast because we're talking about something that's kind of fun and unique today. And that is when art imitates life, a multimedia approach to mental health. And my guest um, is Lisa Bahar. She is a cinema therapist. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She uses film as a healing modality within her practice. And I think there's good compelling reason why it is so successful. Lisa, talk about some of your favorite films that you prescribe and the why. Well,
3: it really depends on what the client is, is expressing in terms of um, what's going on with them. And ironically, I will turn the tables on a lot of the clients and have them talk to me about the movies that they relate to and look for the kernel of what is in that f- particular film that they're drawn to that can relate to their current sam- symptoms or, or experiences that they're talking about in therapy. So I tend to be more... Um, reserved in how I prescribe a film, like you should watch this film in order to get this part of what you might be experiencing, and try to pull from the, from the clients what it is that they're responding to in the movies. So that's the first part. But I do have my go-tos, and those are, sure. if you want me to talk about that, <laughs> I think you do. Uh, well, let's see. The most recent one I've been using is La uh, La Land. And the reason I'm using that particular film is to be in the present, but at the same time improving the moment through fantasy. So being able to bring forth uh, within the client an experience of a fantasy world, which La La Land has this fantasy element to it, and also experience emotions in reality of being mindful and being present of accepting uh, their reality. So what I'm trying to accomplish there is uh, being present, but at the same time balancing the world of hope and fantasy of clients who might be losing hope or feeling as though there's nothing to live for. La La Land seems to have a very effective impact on individuals in a variety of ways. And it's so impacted with, imagery and music and dance. And it just hits all the senses that clients pull something from that film and it's never quite predictable. So that's you know, one of you're my right. big go-tos.
1: In, in, in thinking about the film, you know, I, I it, it, it was, it was definitely a fun film to watch and the, it was emotional and it was like the hard knocks of life of reality mm-hmm. were, were present in the film. Um, there was disappointment mm-hmm. and yet there was this um, sense of being that, yeah, this is life and things do actually kind of work out. Yes, yeah, that's right.
3: With hope and don't lose the dream, you know? Yes. Yes.
1: Uh, you know, keep don't, the dream alive, you know? Well, without hope, we're, we're really, we're dead, right? I mean, it's hope really right. is that ingredient that floats us through life. If we don't carry, you know, faith and optimism and hope for something, tomorrow we're, we can be sunk right so true give it's us a so couple true. others and
3: give us another okay uh i also like a film uh in regards to accepting uh for example in this case addiction or any kind of diagnosis that's difficult to accept uh, i like a film called flight with denzel washington ah. uh, in terms of
1: radical you remember that one lisa I do remember that one.
3: Yeah. So I find that that's a very helpful film on a journey of acceptance, accountability. Uh, I work a lot with clients in recovery and the the ending scene for example of just coming to terms of being an alcoholic and what that means of dealing with the consequences and finally feeling free inside of well he's literally in a uh, I don't want to spoil the movie but he's in a Well, I'm going to spoil the movie uh, in a jail environment. So he's never felt more free before than when he was let go from this resistance of accepting the reality of alcoholism in his life. So I use flight a lot in movies. That's a good one.
1: What about The Wizard of Oz? This is one that I've actually used. (laughs) Tell me about that, Lisa. Oh my god. Well, I, I, I love the Wizard of Oz because it's a quintessential heroic journey, right? And and mm-hmm. it, it shows us how we possess the inner resources to find our way home. Mm-hmm. No matter what. That's true.
3: That is so true.
1: And, and clients love it, way. right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it takes us back to a very childlike place. I mean, everybody, at least that I, I'm in contact with, even very, very young clients have watched The Wizard of Oz. They've seen it with their parents. It's something that they've grown up with, but have never looked at it from, um, uh, a point of view of, of the human struggle or the human condition and how it relates to their own journey.
3: You've inspired me to watch that movie again, because I remember as a child, I was so, oh, frightened by that movie and the the little witch and the dog and Toto and the basket. and Oh my goodness. I had, now that I look at it, it's, I want to go home. I want to go home, uh, which is home within or whatever that means to, to a person is the spiritual connection to that place of calm, that place of safety and that place of, of peace. Uh, but
1: yeah, I want to watch that movie again. Now that you've mentioned it, I I will (laughs) use that movie. I like that. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's fun. It's fun because, like, we all want to believe that the um, the resources come from an external place, right? I mean, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, she believes that her savior is the wizard. And if she gets to the wizard that he is going to help her get home, and then she meets the wizard, she finally arrives at that destination that she thinks is the key to her happiness or the key to her return, only to find out that he's kind of a small, impotent guy that really has no powers to send her home. But she received this message that if she, she, that she can click her heels and go home, and mm-hmm. she had the resources all along, but the journey is what activated her ability to believe in herself. I love it. Oh. It's so it's a, right, isn't it? All of our stories, <laughs> you know. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's all right there.
3: It's all right there. Just follow that yellow brick road, and you'll get there. <laughs> But, but the, the belief along the way that, I is think,
1: the journey. Yeah. It's the journey. And and I think mm-hmm. I think that's the beauty of cinema therapy, going back to the theme and what you mm-hmm. do so beautifully with your clients is mm-hmm. you know, help them see that the, that the journey is actually mm-hmm. the work. That is
3: true. And not to resist the journey. And it sounds so cliche, I think. Some if someone were to say that during my more deeper times of tribulations and troubles. I was like, okay, okay, but in reality, if we can uh, reflect on the journey and share in the, about the journey in a therapeutic environment, it's so healing uh, that ironically, the most challenging of times can be so healing in therapy, and that's the beauty of therapy. And you know, I I have an intuitive feeling that we need therapists because people want to feel safe to talk about things that are coming from the heart and not feel judged and persecuted or rejected and maybe we on some level are all therapists to one another and to look at movies as a way of creating a creative connection between people uh that's beautiful i mean it it really is and we're all well I'm, i'm generalizing here lisa but there is a there is a strong, like in The Wizard of Oz, what came to mind as you were talking about it and what I was reflecting on is there's a there's a battle. There's a battle of a good and evil, and, and movies serve as a way to pathway us to home and click your heels and look at the magic or keep La La Land in your mind and keep the fantasy alive, that there is beauty within, but the journey through these turbulations and darkness and all the things that come along with the trials um, that movies can capture through story is part of it, and learning how to just not resist and flow with it in a creative yeah. way. Movies serve as that journey
1: tool, hmm. and uh, they they serve as that, and then also like I kindling, right? It like sort of kindles that fire or certainly it can within ourselves to to be better to do better to understand that no matter what we're undergoing that it is temporary because a, a, a movie has 2 hours plus or minus to do its job to complete a cycle and it's sort of a right. c- compacted metaphor right for our own situations right things That's will true. change they can they can't stay the same that's true. There's one constant in life, and that's change. As hard as it is yeah. to
3: accept, that is true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's very, one very more. True. One more. Wonderful. Go for it. One oh, more all,
1: One more. more all-time favorite uh, uh, film prescription. Um, well, let me go. I'm all over the place, but, you know, what's coming to mind
3: is, ooh, I want to squeeze like three more, but, oh, you know, Chef, the movie Chef. I love Chef.
1: Do you, did you see the movie Chef? I did not. But th- you you can have more than one, by the way. <laughs> but so, okay. Chef, talk chef, a little bit about that. Okay. Well, Chef has
3: a great uh, theme there about an individual who is successful in one place of his life, but he's stifled. So he's following all the rules and then he finds that he gets fired and has to figure out things and uh, do it his way. And that's where he becomes he's driving a little food truck around the world and dealing with life on life's terms and not being a renowned chef, but actually enjoying the actual art of feeding people and communing with food. So chef is a big one, and it really illustrates uh, anger. So I use a lot of that with anger management and dealing with anger, which is deep sadness and um feeling let down and betrayed. So I use chef a lot. And... um I use white oleander for mother and daughter relationships. I don't know if you've heard of that film with
1: Michelle Pfeiffer. I have. I, I saw it many years Great. ago. One more quickie, and then we got a dash.
3: Oh my goodness! Well, Girl Interrupted is another one for uh, dealing with mental health and the challenges related to borderline personality. And so I do a lot of Girl Interrupted and Goodwill Hunting. Don't
1: let me forget that one. Oh, yes. Good world. Yes, both of those are amazing. (laughs) To learn more about cinema therapy and the work of Lisa Bahar, please visit her website at lisabahar.com. On Twitter, you can connect with her at Lisa underscore Bahar. And on Facebook, Lisa Bahar, L-M-F-T. Thank you, Lisa. This was fun.
3: Thank you, Lisa. This was fun. Thank you so much. And thank you to your listeners.
1: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Travis Langley and Lisa Bahar. wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day.
0: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on TokiNet, itunes and soundcloud in a complicated world seemingly driven by non-stop negative news lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all to learn more about lisa's global consulting services please visit harvestinghappiness.com spread more joy by liking us on facebook at harvesting happiness and following lisa on twitter at lisa cayman Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.